Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Seminole Rap Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Pellerin, and with Juan Montalvo and John Marchant. Finally, we get a Florida State victory to open up this week's podcast. Uh, 33-30 over Syracuse. Uh, the long-awaited one, five weeks into the season. No more O for sent first time since the 70s. We've got one in the books. And, uh, John, you and I were talking before this one started. It was uh, – it felt like the Spider-Man meme with the two of these teams. Basically, you look at the box score, they were the same team back and forth. It just – Florida State got the ball last and, and got to get the win. Yeah, it was a fun – and uh, I, I thought that the emotional weight of the win, you know, the way that it happened and stuff was a close game, final kick was uh, fun, exhilarating. Team needed it. But, yeah, the whole time I'm watching this game, I'm just like this – these teams are equally bad and incompetent, but also, you know, it's fun. It made it for a fun and entertaining game, but it wasn't exactly a great football product. So, a win's a win. Yeah. Juan, you, you, yeah. you're, you're shaking your head. Well, I mean, it was it was definitely a battle of wills, and it was like the will to lose almost in, in a lot of things. <laughs> uh, I was at dinner tonight, living in Tallahassee. Obviously, they're going to put like the replays, the FSU games on, and. You know, I, I got to, to to watch again, you know, a rewatch game, but, you know, I saw the last fourth or the fourth quarter on the screen and it was 30 to 20. And I was like, man, I was at that game. I forgot that we were up 10 in the fourth quarter. Like it, it yeah. certainly didn't feel like it. Um, you know, the rest of that game, it was, you know, a, a, a battle of wills to lose. Like I said, that, that field goal felt great. But I think the, the biggest thing that I took away from like the, the stadium experience was like, relief i mean it was just like everyone in the stadium yeah. was just like you know no one was thrilled there's no exhilaration but everyone was like all right great it was it really felt like a monkey off your back sort of moment so you know getting getting the first win god it sounds ridiculous to say it in week five for a florida state team especially against syracuse but um that's where we are but i mean that really you know it's it's important for for team culture morale all those sort of things and it probably frees up everything. When you, when you go to practice during the week, you're, you're probably not stressed about it, or, or obviously you can't be if it doesn't exist anymore. But when you go to class, you don't have that that loss lingering over you. You don't, you know, you're not gonna have the teacher make the the whatever comment about it. Um, overall, though, I mean, Mike Novell said this wasn't obviously a, an overall great performance from his team. So we're we're not trying to be overly negative. But even Norvell said this wasn't this wasn't exactly what we were hoping for. But it's good to get a win on one of these. They were much more efficient on third down, six for 15, two for two on, on fourth. But uh, for me, I mean, the passing attack, we saw Jordan Travis in full Jordan Travis uh, running basically everywhere as the leading rusher. Uh, 32 attempts, though, for 131 yards. Um, I, I feel like that is just a product of I'm not sure what our receivers can really do. I, I don't know if there's really a way to expand beyond that, but the they moved the ball well enough with that. Despite that, I think it's probably a despite way to put that, it. right? Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about you know under five yards per attempt, I mean that's really poor for a, for a quarterback at any level of college football. I mean, you know, you go to the top of the stat sheets for overall seasons. Normally, the best quarterbacks are going to be over ten yards per attempt. 
I think Jameis in 2014 was 9.7, and obviously he struggled quite a bit in the first half of every game just about that year. Um, so, I mean, you you obviously don't have a very good passing attack. Some of that comes down to the quarterbacks. Some some comes down to the receivers. Um, you know, if I had to, to, to assign blame between those two, I'd probably go like 75% receivers, 25% quarterback in this game. Um, I mean, I, I, I saw quite a bit of, of open receivers downfield from the stands. You could see, you know, guys would good, guys would start to get ready to make a break. And you could see, like, for example, a guy's getting to the top of his break uh, against cover four, cover two, you know, uh, two high safeties. And post first cover, cover four, post first cover two, you bang that all day. I mean, it's just going to be there. It's it's just as long as there's not a, a backer, you know, uh, starting starting to step back deep into that into that final final third, you've got somebody who's going to get open under that. And a lot in a lot of cases, you know, the the Norvell will go for a high low in the intermediate part of the field. So you'll get someone who will stress the safeties and stress that linebacker who's going to be in the middle of the field in the hook zone. So you saw a lot of cases where you'd get to the top of the break, the receiver would be about to start running towards the middle of the field, for example, and Travis saw pressure and he ran. And in some cases it was because there was legitimate pressure. In some cases he, you know, got a little happy feet, which unfortunately he's prone to do. That's the limitations of this quarterback and, you know, the receivers aren't going to get a, get open a lot, but there's certain things that you can see are going to scheme themselves open. And even despite poor routes, despite poor quarterback play, the plays can be there, but sometimes the players don't make them. And, and it makes me wonder if the the rushing attack that they so, I don't say aggressively featured, but when you go to a Jordan Travis offense, I think that's what you get. Obviously, that's been the most successful part of this team. If that helps them find more success, especially later in games, or, or even as more teams just say, forget it, the only thing they're going to do is run the ball, let's put more guys in the box, opens up more of that ability to not not have such a limited passing attack. Uh, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> Jordan, Travis's ability to hit the deep ball, I think, obviously, I think it opens up some stuff. He still freezes in the kind of quick passing game, the intermediate stuff. Um, I, I just think at this point, I mean, we talked a lot of, in the preseason, we heard something about his development. I haven't really seen it, to be honest with you. Um, but obviously, when he's in there, the offense, I mean, again, how do you, how do you discount the fact that, and I, I know this, the two times he's the starting quarterback for the whole game, uh, or pretty much the whole game, FSU scores 30 points. Um, their ground game is obviously explosive. It's a Norvell staple kind of feature of his offenses going all the way back to Memphis. Um, you know, and you thought you thought you have a running-based attack. You rely less on the receivers. Um, I thought we were going to see that all year. But then, you know, you think, oh, well, Milton comes in. Maybe he can give you something in the passing game. Maybe elevate these receivers. And that never materialized either. So, in my opinion, um, yeah, I think Travis – and this is the thing. He can't stay healthy the whole year. Otherwise, yeah, he'd be easy answer to be your quarterback going forward. Um you could see that throughout the game. Um, and one thing that I sort of saw from the stands was, and it's a, it's an issue that we saw last year with Jordan Travis is that 
throughout the game, he got a little bit more hobbled, and I'm, I'm sure you can see it on the TV broadcast. But, you know, you'd see uh, – I, I remember telling my wife, I was like, man, he's he's half limping in the first first half. And, you know, I don't know if he gets a nice cortisone or Toradol shot at halftime, but uh, he's got to get something to keep him going because he is – I mean, that, that poor kid is worn out by the end of the game. I mean, he gets – he gets right. beat up on partly because of his, you know, he's, he, he is the consummate professional, so to speak, in terms of how he runs the ball. He's gotten a lot better about getting out of bounds when he needs to, um, but he'll still go and, you know, get his shoulder down and fight for first down. I mean, there were one or two instances I, I can recall off the top of my head where he put a shoulder down and went into a guy. I mean, so he's willing to make those tough yards where he needs to, but it's clear by the end of the game, he is, you know, not hundred percent. And it's something we saw all last year. It's something that's going to be that we've talked about before on the podcast. You know, I mean, Mackenzie Milton's never going to be hundred percent. Jordan Travis in the fourth quarter is likely never going to be hundred percent. It's just sort of the unfortunate nature of the two guys you really have at this point. Right. And to your point, yeah, I don't think he was really even healthy to start that game. They just, you know, you expect when he's in there that he's going to run like, the offense we saw last year, kind of a read option type scheme that they built around him. And when you come out and you're just throwing a bunch of screens and you're throwing, which I get, cause you know, it helps, it, it gets the receivers open by design. You know, they, they ran a couple slants. We haven't really seen a whole lot of the RPO stuff that we saw more of last year. We haven't, again, they weren't running those QB draws until the second half. Um, so I, yeah, I just, I don't know that, there was that one burst that we saw, I think it was in against Notre Dame when he was running up the sideline on a scramble, I think it was. And other than that, I have we haven't really seen the Travis from last year, um, really at all this whole season. And uh, I don't know that we will because he just doesn't seem healthy. Yeah, and I think that sort of dovetails into why we hadn't seen him start. I mean, like you said, he wasn't 100% to start the game. Um, I think he was, you know, clearly – injured throughout this this season after the Notre Dame game um you know and I, I think it was it was a Nick Saban or Bella Saban or Belichick earlier a week or two ago talked about the difference between being hurt and being injured um and Jordan Travis is playing hurt I mean we've heard we heard Jimbo talk about that years ago with some players that you know he's not injured he's hurt you know he's he's it's a it's a pain management pain tolerance sort of thing and that's that's what you got with him and same same thing to some degree with Milton although it seems to be less predictable just based on the weather or whatever it is that affects his particular issue with his leg but um you don't have a guy who's going to be 100% healthy under center well in the shotgun at least no matter what so it's just you got to get what you can get out of them and with Jordan it's going to be you know running it running him into the ground frankly in a lot of cases and I think the one thing that and John I'll, I'll, I'll let you go here in a second but the one thing that I want to point out is that the one thing you need Jordan Travis to do well is execute on the deep shots that they scheme up because they're doing a good job offensively, at least in terms of scheming up some deep open balls. I think, uh, you know, we've had a little bit of frustration and we haven't got into this part of it too much yet about that. It seems a little bit more like a, a Dillingham offense than the Norvell offense. It just doesn't flow the same way it did last year, but Regardless of that, they're still scheming guys open on those deep balls, and that makes a big impact on what a defense is going to do. So Travis has to be able to execute those plays to really move this ball or to, to move this offense because they're going to rely on explosive plays. It's just who they are. 
Yeah, um, you're exactly right. They've been scheming guys open all year. I think I saw a tweet this week that I believe FSU is, I might have been Kurt Weiler, uh, Tallahassee uh, uh, Democrat. I think they're, what, fifth in the country in explosive plays or plays over 60 yards. Um, so they can get guys out behind the, any defense, even though from a down-to-down efficiency standpoint, they're awful. Uh, which is pretty incredible, to be honest with you. And you're right. I know the triple options looked at all that, a lot of that stuff this year, you know, about the slot fades or, or, you know, kind of smash concepts, anything they're doing to, to draw the defense's eyes in. But with Travis, you know, the offensive line and the receivers, as receivers especially, they're just capping everything you're trying to do in the passing game. The, there's, there's almost no ceiling to this passing game. It's, it's on the ground. Um, and so with Travis in there, you, you're like you said, you have to have him in there and you kind of have to run him into the ground because when he's in there, you can get 250 yards rushing. You can move the ball. Um, and then, like you said, you, this offense almost – it's not like you taking deep shots just to try to, like, score quickly like a lot of offenses do. I think that this particular offense this season needs those deep shots to connect. And if they don't, this offense is going to look really bad. Um, and they're not going to be – as competitive in some of these more winnable games going, you know, from here on out. I mean, I think one thing, and, and, you know, it's, I think a pretty good illustrative example is that when, um, when Jimbo Fisher had, uh, you know, and I'm going to throw back to him because really it's, it's one of the easiest comparisons that most folks are going to remember. Um, you know, one of our, our basketball guy, Matt Minnick would talk to you about like the eighties offenses and tell you about how Peter Tom Willis was really good at throwing a screen to, you know, some guy born in 1922 but uh, <laughs> um, with if you go back to when when uh, Jimbo started started ponder in the Virginia Tech game in 2008, you know he was sort of relying on explosive plays and, and quarterback in the run game, and then because that offense was so poor in terms of uh, explosive talent, they basically were were very methodical. They were super dink and dunk in 2009. You know they were they were a team that was you know top top five or top 10 in efficiency by SP plus or by FEI. Um, but they didn't even crack like the top 20 of total offense or the top 20 of total plays ran or, or yards or yards per play. They were fairly high, uh, but they didn't, you know, they were not an explosive team. They were very methodical that this is the antithesis of that offense. You got to make big plays. I mean, you probably need three chunk plays per drive with this team to get anywhere. And by chunk plays, I mean, uh, uh, run plays 15 yards or more pass plays of 20 yards or more. So you've got to basically move the ball a minimum 45 to 60 yards on big plays for each drive. And if you're starting in a field position of 75 yards, every time that's going to basically be the only way you're going to do it because there's not going to be a chance that you're going to get 10, you know, 10 play drives out of this team on a consistent basis. I mean, I'd be surprised if this team averaged two 10 play drives, let alone scoring drives, just two 10 play drives throughout, you know, per game throughout the year. It's just not how this team is built, but because you don't have receivers you can rely on in, in the short quick game, you can't throw, you know, uh, uh, even, even if you're throwing a smash, you can't expect the guy to separate well on a hitch because the hitch part of the smash, um, you know, it requires that that guy to know, okay, uh, I've got uh, outside alignment, which means the corner is inside him more, no more near the ball. So when you run off line, you're trying to push that corner further in and then break out and separate that way. And these guys are just not good enough to do that. 
I mean, they're just not getting it done. Um, you have a couple of guys who are showing the ability to be physical and create a little bit of separation, but that's just not a repeatable thing down to down, um, especially when you have a very much see it throw at quarterback in, in Jordan Travis. So, you know, like I mentioned earlier, he's not the guy who's going to see the post about to break then and throw the ball. He's the guy who wants to see the post break, throw the ball after that. If in that split second, that's when he decides to run versus throw the ball. So, you know, he doesn't have the anticipation, the anticipation that's going to get you the ball out quick. He doesn't have the receivers who are going to break quick enough to get him a visual on what he can throw to. So you really need those explosive plays, you know, and, and, you know, I, I, I think a good target for, for drive scoring drive is three, three explosive plays per drive. So, I mean, this is a team that has to rely on being explosive. They're not going to be methodical and that's just what they are. And, and I think a lot of those character traits you're talking about with Jordan Travis are, are all understandable for what's still a very young quarterback. Um, but talking on those explosive plays and you were talking about the, the bigger, the big chunker, the bigger chunk plays Florida state's 44th in the country on 10 plus yard, uh, chunk, chunk, 10 plus, I don't want to call that chunk, but you know, a first down play they're 44th right in line with Georgia, Memphis, Texas, Texas, A&M teams that would, you would think would have predominantly or, or that. I, I mean, Texas is great. Georgia obviously is great, but when you look at that 30 plus window, they've only got seven. And that puts them down at 100, and that's alongside Middle Tennessee, New Mexico State, Wyoming. Uh, Georgia is actually still in that list. Their, their list is almost exactly the same as Georgia. They don't have the defense that Georgia has, and that's how you decide who's number two in the country and who's one and four. Um, but th- that's true. I mean, you're going to have to find that with Jordan Travis. Obviously, Norvell saying this week, this is the reason Jordan Travis was our starter to begin the year. And the depth chart makes it clear he is the lone starter, though we've been through this a couple times with Norvell, where maybe they're just playing the strategy game there by naming a sole starter. But I'm curious, because the depth chart itself looks, I don't want to say like it did, there are a lot of changes on there. But now you've got Jordan Travis back at the top. We've seen five games from this team. Do you, and I don't want to do like a season projections type thing week by week. I think we kind of, put our foot in our mouths, not foot in our mouths, but we were a little too negative on the team maybe last week. But do you think this team is any better than you expected them to be having getting to see them play for five weeks? Do you expect them to, to grow beyond this now that they maybe have found that identity that they built in the preseason? I mean, obviously the wins and losses make it hard to expect better, but John, do you, do you see this getting better as we go along? Or, or being uh, better than than you expected them to be, they are worse than what I expected them to be. Uh, I don't think, like we were chatting about this a little bit before we started recording, that we think that, uh, you know, we've asked this question a couple of times now. I don't. I I'd have to revise it again and say that I do not think that they are as talented as I originally thought that they might be. I do think that there are some exceptions, like Jermaine Johnson is. I think he would have been the best player on this team last year, um, but you know, guys like that. But for, for the most part, this team is not as talented as I originally expected. You, a lot of that also has to do with uh, the fact you're getting pretty much nothing out of Milton, whether that's his fault or not, you know, based on the talent around him, uh, that's a different question, but 
Um, so I think that this, I think what we saw against Syracuse will be pretty much what we get more or less for the, the rest of the way. Are there things that they, this coaching staff can clean up? Absolutely. Um, some of the things that are disappointing is there's things that you think that maybe they could have already cleaned up or should be cleaned up that that's not getting done. But for the most part, I think the talent is what it is. I think, especially on offense, it's, it's really capping what you're trying to do. Um, you know, I know we, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking against Jacksonville state. I believe it was that we were kind of disappointed to see some of the communication mistakes and, and just busting coverages. And then it's not that they're playing difficult, complex coverages. This isn't man match that they're playing. Um, and so that's disappointing. Um, so do you, again, the base expectation for the season was we wanted to see progress. Most of that was progress from last season. That's obviously out the window. I guess from here going forward, I want to see some progress week to week. It's not linear, but some in some different areas. Uh, maybe we start to see some of the younger players kind of get a little bit of a chance to show what they've got, maybe develop them a little bit. But overall, I think that they are what they are. Um, again, at the beginning of the season, I'd said I wanted them to – I thought they'd do five wins, hope for six. I think now the expectation is, for me, I guess, two. I think that they could steal one and get to three. Um, I'm not really going to go to four. I think that's where I'm at. You know, the craziest part about that is, you know, if you told me that um, come October 5th, we're recording a Tuesday night come October 5th. If you had told me, well, Florida state's one and four, um, they lost Jacksonville state, but I think that there's a chance that they could go and play with Clemson or Florida. I would have like lambasted that, that take and laughed at it. And I would have said, well, there's no way that we would, we would uh, lose to Syracuse because I wouldn't have assumed that we would have lost to, to, um, to um to Jacksonville State but uh I mean I think that's sort of where I am at this point like this team you know on their on their best day if you know they're getting receivers to catch the ball on some of these deeper throws and if they're getting a good day out of Jordan Travis they're gonna they're I think they can hang with you know those two particular teams who have seen some faltering this year obviously um but my expectations for this team coming into this year no it's 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 below they are below what i expected uh you know dennis green famously said they are who we thought they were and well they are worse than who we thought they were is definitively correct unfortunately but here's an exercise i want to throw out to you guys how many and this is based on your expectations before the notre dame game because obviously that 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 evening uh changed a lot of thoughts on florida state and where the program trajectory was how many position groups do you consider to be better than you expected for this season versus your expectation August 15th? Well, I'll give John some time to think here. I, I don't know if I'm going to claim agnostic and step out on this one. I don't think I would. I know the position groups well enough to, to, to handle that. So I'm going to let John do it, but I'm going to stall here for a second. And now I'll hand it over to him. So he's got a second to think um which position groups are better yeah and you can th you can go into the works too but i wanted to start out with better because i think it sort of uh, uh underlies the point 
you know, well, first of all, I want to say I agree with you on them being competitive. Uh, even though they're a worse team, I yeah, I think that you're right because Clemson's offense is absolutely terrible, even though their defense is elite, that that they will be able to be competitive in some game. This is what I think. I think sometimes this team is just going to get straight blown out right, right from the gate. But I think in other games this year, maybe even some that will surprise us, they'll be competitive. They're not going to win all of them, but they'll be competitive. But to answer your question, um, I think edge rusher, they're definitely better than what I thought they'd be. Um, I remember we were all excited when Florida State landed Jermaine Johnson out of the portal. I remember asking, how's his first step? And I, I remember a, a guy told me uh, explosive, which is fantastic. But what we got from him or what we're getting from him this season is still way beyond my wildest dreams of the edge rusher play that we would get, whether we would see from this team. Uh, even Keir Thomas is, is a pretty good player. Um, so, yeah, edge rusher for sure. Um, I'd have to say – I, I, I want to commit to linebackers, but not really. I think Kalen Deloach could be a good one down, down the road. I Early on, they've done better in run fits than I thought that they would do, but they're pretty much where I thought they'd be in pass coverage, which is not great. Um, well, they don't seem to get any further depth than about three yards in the line of scrimmage, which serves right. them well for stopping the run, but obviously they're not doing a darn thing in the pass game. Right. Um, so edge rusher, definitely. I wouldn't say receiver. I wouldn't say quarterback. I think that's worse. I think running back also, I think, is better than what we thought we get. Well, with um, 100% healthy Jay Sean Corbin, I think, is showing that he, he – it was a mistake for Jimmy to let him go. Um, although, you know, he was in a position where he probably would have transferred no matter what, just based on what they had going. But, yeah, right. running back definitely up, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Jay Sean Ward. I mean, he's been a revelation this year. Right, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I can't – I think he's been not that I, I mean, I liked LaDamian Webb last year, but I, I think the way that Treshawn Ward is running the ball right now is, is definitely better uh, than what we were getting from, from Webb last year. Um, I don't know about tight end. I mean, Cam McDonald kind of had a breakout year last year. We're not really seeing that. He did, he whiffed on that block on, on, on Saturday against Syracuse that uh, gave up the interception on that screen. Um, I, there's a definitely positions I think are worse. Um, maybe the interior run game, run blocking, but I, and you're not getting anything out of them in pass protection. I thought the tackles are worse in pass protection than I expected them to be. Uh, secondary, not so. I guess that's really it. For me, it's edge rusher. I, edge rusher is definitely up. Running back probably up. Yeah. Um, Would you? What do you? What do you think about Juan about the defensive tackles? Are they better than last year, or what you thought? If we'd get. If, if you had asked me and said Dennis Briggs was healthy, I'd probably say, yes, they're going to continue to be better. I mean, they've shown good stuff. Um, you know, Keir Thomas is playing sort of a hybrid role. He goes back and forth between, between um, that boundary boundary edge role and more of a five tech type traditional three, four end role. Um, so you've got someone there who sort of does a little bit of quote, you know, two gap type play. So a little bit more of a, you know, old school deep tackle type play. But anyway, um, I would say they're about what I expected. You know, they're, they're, they're pretty good overall in the interior. You know, they're not, they're the rest of the year. They're probably not going to be what we had expected them to be um, just based on losing Briggs. Cause they're just going to have that much less depth. I mean, he's a guy that you could have counted on in that, in that, in that rotation. Um, but I mean, I think if I had to pick, you know, ones that you could definitively say up and down up is definitely edge rusher and running back and yeah. nobody else. Um, okay, good. 
the, yeah. the down. Um, you didn't address them, but special teams. I mean, overall, yeah. I mean, special teams last year was one of the highlights of Norvell. And, and one thing that I think we had talked about on the podcast as something that portended well for this year was that you had, uh, uh, you know, that special teams is that area where you get effort and you get culture within the program that people are trying to get, their, you know, earn spots on special teams. You're not seeing that this year. Um, you know, the, the return play is really poor. Um, the return defense is worse than I had expected. Um, so they're, they're down. Um, special teams is down. Quarterback is marginally down. Um, I think health is a factor there. Offensive line play, probably neutral receivers based on expected are neutral. And I'm saying that because I didn't, I had very low expectations of that group coming in, even with parchment, you know, no one expected parchment to be a true number one, but I don't think, uh, you know, this, this group, this group needed uh, somebody to be a number one. There just isn't a guy, Um, you know, pokey isn't going to be that guy. And he's shown to be a perfectly competent college player, but he's not a guy who's going to lead your, your receiving core. Um, so those are two that are neutral or well, special teams down receivers, neutral offensive line. I, I think it's a, probably a net neutral at this point because they've been able to rush the ball pretty efficiently. But like you said, they've mm-hmm. been pretty poor in, in pass protection and, you know, the tackles, I think some of that stems from them not really doing a great job of getting the right, getting, getting protections that favor their, their, uh, their their offensive line and that may be a combination of the way the line the, the i'm sorry the running backs play or the way the protections are called or however it, it it seems to work out but yeah the 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 secondary i can't say they're up can't i don't want to say they're down but yeah no i mean there's there's only two ups just to to really yeah. get back I, to the point that i was trying to make i mean you wanted this team to progress and like you said it's not going to be linear it's not going to be week to week getting better get better each week it's going to be up and down um but there's really only two that have been up you know not even consistently but you know flashing nicely through five weeks so yeah I, I i agree with that it was a great point about the special teams being down i i guess i'd say the safeties i think are better in the against the run in the run game uh coming down in the alley they they didn't do that at all last year how but in coverage of the way that they've been playing though. Cause I mean, they've been, obviously you look at linebackers. I just, I mentioned a bit ago, they don't get any depth. I mean, they right. intentionally don't get any depth. I mean, they're very much focused on stopping the run game, you know, and we talked about it a little bit before that they knew, we knew from people in the locker room going in that they were basically going to just key straight on the run game against Notre Dame. And it worked. Um, you know, they didn't, Notre Dame didn't run the ball at all. And Jack Cohn, you know, unfortunately had a great night and, hasn't proven to do so the rest of this year. Um, so, you know, there's, there's that element of it. Like, you know, the, 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 the back end, your back seven is never going to be doing all that well if your linebackers are pushed up and, 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 you know, giving void in the middle of the field. Right. Well, I, go ahead, John. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, uh, they don't seem to be, as deficient on the boundaries they were last year, that was a major weakness is that we saw teams exploit just over and over and over every single game. That's not really happening. Um, but they obviously missed Asante Samuel Jr. Uh, big time. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I thought they'd be better than what they are, but I guess I'm not surprised that the secondary is where it's at, I guess is where well, I'm at. Well, 
let me toss this at you because I think this kind of fits in that same Asante Samuel Jr. type thing. And and I brought it up with you guys just kind of briefly beforehand. But, you know, the first week of the season and the talk of college football was the extra COVID year for so many, so many teams. And, and um, that meant, you know, if you had more experience, obviously it was going to be better for you. Your seniors will help out. And, and I pulled up the preseason production and a lot of the surprise early season teams are higher on the list. I mean, Wake Forest and, um, you know, a handful of others like UCLA and whatnot are high on the list than you'd expect. Toledo, who gave Notre Dame a game, obviously, early in the year. Notre Dame's down at the bottom, where I think since this has evolved later in the year, I've started to think about it almost, almost backwards, where it's not an advantage for the super senior teams, more so than it is, I think, a disadvantage for the younger teams, where when you look at a team like Florida State, who the only, you know, players that they would have lost that were that were important would be your top end NFL level talent and you're bringing back thus a young team that is still young and I think maybe that's part of the reason why we see a Clemson slide so far back to the pack where they lose so much returning production while Wake Forest Boston College and teams who really quote-unquote shouldn't be that good are keeping that same full team they're still where they were last year do you think that in any way can is part of the reason why Florida State is seemingly stagnant or slightly worse than a year ago? I think I think it's a really good, that's a really good point, Brian. Um, and I think it really goes back to the core issue with this roster. Um, the core issue is that you know you've heard us talk about it, you've heard Triple Option talk about it, you've heard every other FSU podcast, media shoot, even the coaches have alluded to it to some degree. Um, the the fact here is that you've got two transition classes that are effectively throwaways. Um, you can go back to the 2019 class uh, that Willie Tra- uh, Willie Travis Willie Taggart brought in, and oof, that is a that's a stinker if there ever was one. Um, I mean, you don't have anybody on or 2018, pardon me, um, but you don't have anybody off that 2018 class who is worth anything. I mean, how many of those guys are starters? Right. How many of those um, guys are starters versus how many transfers are starters? I mean, you've got, you know, this, we, we talked about this in the pre-show and, and I think this is something that we're probably going to delve into now, but basically these guys had to replace a lot of the guys that left the program with transfers just because you literally cannot sign enough players under the 25 player limit. Um, which was being discussed as adding 25 and then seven to replace up to seven to replace transfers uh, currently, but you cannot replace under a 25 uh, person limit, the amount of players who were not good enough to play at the Florida state level. I mean, you had, that's 50 players on, uh, you know, signed over those two signing classes that are going to be, let's say, let's say normal signing class, just I'm using round numbers here a normal signing class retains 80% of their 25. That's going to give you 20 players out of that 25. A poor signing class is going to give you, let's say 50%. So that's 12 and a half. We'll call that over two seasons. That's 25. So 25 versus 40, that's 15 players on the roster that you effectively have to replace because they're not going to contribute to the program. You can't sign them. I mean, they're just not, there's not that many spots on the roster. 
Um, and, you know, that the, the new, you know, outgoing transfer rule that the NCAA may be passing, it's not 100% passed yet. They're in this, the discussions, you know, as we speak, they're in probably Indianapolis doing all this, uh, doing Lord knows what with everybody's money. Um, <laughs> you know, they're spending, spending a nice three days at the Ritz figuring out how to screw it up. Um, but so basically you don't have a way to get past the issues of this roster, especially when you have two classes that are that rough, you lose that many players. I mean, having three coaches in two years is, uh, you know, in two calendar years effectively is a killer. I mean, it just destroys your roster. It's that simple. Yeah. I even go back to uh, like Jimbo's 2016, 17 classes. They, they're as bad as Taggart's transition class that got, that got nuked. Um, I think the only two kids, and those guys are supposed to be super seniors. So, like, maybe on Johnson, Emmett Rice, huh? He Christmas treated those classes. Yeah. Literally. And I think, I think Bavion and, and Emmett Rice are the only two players. I think this is what I wrote my article a few weeks ago when I looked at it was uh, Bavion and Rice are the only two players from that class. They're supposed to be the super seniors, the, the homegrown ones, the ones that you signed out of high school and developed for four years. Bavion's a backup to Marie Smith. And Emma Rice has been hurt. And yeah, you brought in a bunch of transfers, but one of those super seniors is Milton. And you're not really getting anything from him. Yeah, Jermaine Johnson's been great. One of the other transfers they signed, I remember, was uh, Brandon Moore, the corner out of UCF. He started 21 games there. He, Bam. I think, appeared in 27 games. And then he transfers before the season ever starts. So they're not really the, the, the quote-unquote super seniors that FSU brought in to help like elevate the floor of this roster. You're, a lot of them ended up being, you know, they're not giving you anything. Um, so, yeah, I think the transfer portal is is a lottery, basically, and you don't really know what you're going to get. Sometimes you're going to hit great. Sometimes you're not. Um, and it's just, yeah, the roster is not as talented as we thought it was going to be. Um, yeah, what do, you, what do you think, Juan? I mean, like you, like you said, they brought in quite a few transfers to try to replace some of those upperclassmen that – you would traditionally have. Um, and Brandon Moore is probably one of the most disappointing ones for me personally. Um, you know, I, I had him, you know, based on watching his tape from, from UCF, I was like, all right, well, this dude, he's physical. He looks like he can play the boundary corner position, which is where FSU was really getting killed last year. I mean, you know, they have guys lit, lining up looking like they were going to jam or press and they never did. Um, they're still not really, really pressing off the line, which frankly I think is, 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 disappointing um if you're playing if you're playing off man mirroring off the line of scrimmage you've got to have a very talented player to do that uh whereas when you jam a guy and you can sort of push him in the direction you want you get a little bit of an advantage in that sense obviously there's a potential to lose that advantage but long story short Brandon Moore didn't get to campus effectively for fall I mean he transferred before that he transferred before the first game like you said um, so the transfer portal, while it can help you replace some of the things you lose, like, you know, you, you can talk about a lot of notable examples, the, the Justin Fields of the world, uh, those sort of guys, you know, you sort of expect Joe Burrow. to come in. Yeah, exactly. Joe Burrow. Um, he did that for some unnamed purple team. Um, and <laughs> they, uh, they had a lot of th- those guys obviously had tons of success and Jermaine Johnson's obviously the, the best example of Florida Jermaine Johnson and Jay Sean Corbin have been excellent for Florida state and, you know, Florida state without those two guys this year, shoot, I mean, pretty decent chance they're 0 and five. Um, so it's, it's a, it's, I wouldn't call it a crapshoot, but you know, you're, you, you do have college tape to evaluate, um, 
but you don't know how they're going to fit in the program and you have less time to figure that out. And you don't really have a lot of roster spaces to figure that time out. So, I mean, if you've got a guy that you know is a hit, you know, like a, a, a guy like, you know, Jermaine Johnson is probably the best example for Florida State. I mean, documented, solid player, even though he was not a full-time starter at Georgia, played a fair amount of snaps, fresh legs. Um, you know, they, they, they brought him in and he clearly wanted to, wanted to help, you know, rebuild Florida State. He was a guy who checked every box as a transfer and is doing it on the field. Shoot, Brandon Moore looked, looked like he'd be the same same level of, of, of impact, um, but he's not he's not the program, literally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, it really. It, again, it's a lottery, and you're not you don't know what you're going to get. And uh, I don't put that really on the coaches. You just do the best you can. You yeah, you're expecting to to have someone like Brandon Moore. I mean, you're going to bring Jay down, Travis Jay down from safety. That would make a pretty good starting tandem at corner. You know, you have a guy like Jarvis Brownlee, you can put it nickel or whatever. That's a good solid start to something. And then a guy never plays for you. Um, what are you supposed to do? You know, um, you just have to work with what you got. Um, like I, I was saying earlier about the, the whole thing is, I thought, and I guess I was wrong, I thought for some of these teams we'd see with all these super seniors of COVID that we'd see higher floor. And maybe a little bit like you were like, Brian, what you were saying with, with Wake Forest and, and Boston College, they're being a little bit more competitive with some of these other teams. Uh, you know, obviously Clemson took a huge step back. I guess with Florida State, you know, Norvell tried to flip this roster and a lot of it included moving on some from, kid, from some kids of the Willie Taggart era, including like Marvin Wilson and some others. And some of those guys went off the NFL. And if you lose those guys and you can't really replace them because the portal is a lottery and the roster has been nuked from all these other transition classes, then yeah, you're left with a lot of guys who aren't NFL talent level. Right. And so how can the talent really be better? But uh, anyway, what were you going to say? Well, yeah. I mean, in that same vein and one, this one probably speaks back to what you were talking about before about looking ahead in the schedule. You I mean, we mentioned Clemson already a couple of times. They're towards the bottom of this list in terms of returning production. Also at the bottom is Florida, another team that, that's struggling, uh, uh, obviously mightily, though there are outliers on both ends. Alabama's towards the bottom. Um, <clears throat> Miami is towards the top in terms of supposed <laughs> to be good. So, you know, there's that. Uh, and, and it's not, it's not foolproof. Maybe next season there's a there's a I don't want to say regression because it's technically both directions, but a shift closer to the mean where the teams who had that overarching returning super seniors take a bigger step back and the other teams take a step forward. So maybe that's where FSU gets to take that step. Um, looking slightly to what's ahead here, we've got North Carolina on the schedule. Mac Brown, this to me, strikes me as coach speak, but hey, Florida State fans, you're looking for something good. He says, quote, about Florida State, quote, they look good. They're well coached. It's just a matter of time. They're not far away. Mike started getting his team better right before we went down there last year, and they whipped us. Doing the same now, if you look at it, there's anger in our society right now, and people want to get angry over everything. Florida State fans, this team is close, and they could just be, could just as well be three and two, maybe four and one, they're coming and they're coming fast. I, I read it as him trying to tell his own team, guys, they beat us last year when we were a big favorite. We can't overlook them again. 
but maybe he's onto something. I don't. I mean, I don't know. It could be a move for this team. I mean, there's there's certainly with what we've seen for North Carolina this year, there's a chance that Florida State can 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 go in and beat them. Um, I'm not optimistic about it, um, just based on Eight, eighteen know, point underdog. So it's not it's not an expected thing, I, right? Granted, neither was last year. I mean, anything can happen in college football week to week. We are sort of reliving 2007 when I think it was number two lost like seven weeks in a row or something crazy like that. And we've seen yeah. top 25 ranked teams lose this year than any other year in, you know, since then, basically. So, you know, Mac Brown, uh, he's he's certainly being a little friendly. Uh, yeah. And appreciate that. Mac Brown is a Florida State alum and um, you know, I really appreciate what he's, he's, uh, he's done, you know, for, for Florida state. Um, one thing that's, you know, we, I'd be remiss in, if, if I didn't point out that, that Mac Brown is probably the impetus behind the, uh, tribute that UNC is doing with the Bobby hat logo around uh, the U.S. Yeah. stadium. Um, that's a really nice move. And, you know, it's 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 not gonna earn earn him a lot of brownie points with with Florida State fans when they you know if they uh, if they end up beating Florida State. But um, you know, it's a nice touch. And you know, Mac Brown, while he uh, probably hasn't been a good coach for about fifteen years, is is a uh, you know he's still a good guy. Um, and you know, you appreciate stuff like that coming from an opposing coach. But I think there's a fair amount of coach speak to that. Um, yeah. you know, he's, he's watched the tape. He's seen a, a team that almost beat Notre Dame. He's seen a team that is fairly resilient, you know, to, to Mike Norvell's credit. Um, he's seen, he, he's seen Mike Norvell put this team in a place where they were able to beat North Carolina last year, uh, almost beat Notre Dame this year. And uh, you know, one thing that we, we mentioned last year uh, or earlier this year, sorry. Um, was the stages of the progressions of how a program gets to doing well is, you know, lose by a lot, lose by a little, win by a little, win by a lot. I mean, they're obviously not anywhere near close to win by a lot. Um, but, um, you know, they, they just won by a little last week and they've lost by a little for all but one game this year against Wake. Um, so you do have a team that's been in close games been on the wrong end of them. I mean, they're one and three right now in one score games, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, you know, if they're two and two in those, you're looking at a two and three team. That's probably a lot less disappointing to fans. If they, you know, finish it, if they don't miss a tackle against uh, Jacksonville state, but you know, Mac Brown is being charitable, but at the same time, he is right. Like I said earlier, like uh, uh, the, 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 it wouldn't surprise me if this team played Clemson or Florida pretty close. It's just, I think sort of the nature of this team still being young. And I know that they brought in a lot of transfers, but like we just talked about, those transfers are a bit of a crapshoot. I mean, you're not going to get, you know, linear results on, okay, this player was good at, you know, UCF, South Carolina, et cetera. So Mac Brown, you know, he, he has a, a talented team at North Carolina and he's, he's done a pretty solid job turning that program off of whatever the heck Larry Fedora was doing. Um, and, <laughs> You know, that's a team that obviously the headlines are always going to be talking about Sam Howell and how he was a former Florida State commit, very talented player. Um, His dad and Walt Bell conspired to ruin the Florida State program, allegedly. Um, And so, you know, I think, uh, you know, as an 18 point dog, Florida State is not someone, not a team I expect to be competitive. 
wouldn't be surprising to me if they were, but I just, I don't see it happening after, after an emotional, emotional game like this against Syracuse. Yeah. One, I think you really nailed it. Um, I, I believe Florida state, I want to say they were a 13 and a half point underdog last year. And they won by three. So, but, but to your point, this team is very, cause we kind of touched on it a little bit before this team is very boomer bust. There's a ton of variance to it. They put together two great quarters against Notre Dame. They put together two pretty good quarters against Louisville, even though they lost. Uh, but you never really know. And there was a little bit of luck to them. Well, you know, turnover luck and stuff last year when they, when they pulled the upset, but that's what you're going to have to have with this team. If, if they're going to be competitive, uh, surprisingly, like for this game, when you're an 18 point underdog, um, you know, or any kind of underdog by two or three scores the rest of the way, they can be competitive in any of those games because the very nature of this team is boom or bust. Uh, it's all variance. And that's exactly how turnovers work or, or big plays, you know, like, like we talked about before, Travis needs to hit and connect on those deep shots. If he doesn't, Florida State will probably get blown out. If he does, you don't know. Um, so, I, yeah, I think you, you, you were 100% right. Mac Brown's obviously being very charitable. Um, at the same time, you know those North Carolina coaches are looking at the film. You're seeing that the staff is scheming, which they've always done, these one-on-one matchups for Florida State's playmakers. Right now, outside of the running back room, there's not a whole lot of those playmakers to go around. <laughs> but they're, they're there. You know, uh, one guy, he makes a block then it's a one-on-one matchup, just like what they want. They're getting those matchups. They're, they're scheming that. But Florida State's not really winning. Um, the players are not executing as often as they should. Um, so I can see what he's saying. You know, yeah, it's even charitable saying they're not far away because really this roster is three or four years away. Um, but once the talent level of this program is better, uh, yeah, you know, they'll be a lot more competitive. And at the risk of being the, you know, overreaction, knee-jerk type thing, because we were just saying two weeks ago, I, well, I was saying, I don't think this team wins a game. But, you know, I felt like they had gotten away from what they were supposed supposed to be preseason coming into the year, where Jordan Travis was the guy where you were going to run the ball a lot. Obviously, he wasn't going to last with his legs the whole season, but you were going to run the ball a lot, limit your chances at busting, and then it becomes a, can I hit the – one or two big plays that put me right in the game and we'll see what happens this game as we said 18 and a half 18 point underdog very high total a north carolina team averaging nearly 500 yards per game uh, espn's football power index if you're into that type of stuff 88.6 percent chance unc wins the game that also means 11.4 florida state wins so you're saying there's a chance we'll see uh, that game, ESPN 3.30 on Saturday. Florida State, chance to move 2-2 two and two in conference if they can pull the upset. We'll see. For Brian, John, Juan, that's a wrap. Hey, wait. I say that. I know. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.